Hello and welcome to the weekly Investor Insights call. Throughout the call, all participants will be in listen-only mode. And just to remind you, this conference call is being recorded. Today, I'm pleased to present Charles Priddo and Alex Tedder. Please go ahead with your meeting. Thank you, Operator, and welcome, everyone. Thanks very much for tuning in. And I'm delighted, again, to emphasize the fact that we're now available in podcast format. And so for those of you listening to the podcast, um, thank you very much indeed. I'm not quite sure that we're ready for a rating on iTunes yet, but maybe we'll get there. But thanks for listening anyway. Um, it's extremely topical, um, Alex, and thank you for being here to be talking about equities this week, because it's where um, so much of the volatility resides currently, uh, and a lot of the uncertainty, and undoubtedly is affecting the mood of our clients. Um, so it's great to have you on the call this week. Let me begin by doing a quick recap of what's happened over the last week or so, what's dominating the headlines, if you like. Um, so volatility, very simply, um, is, uh, is, is the big one. And so case in point, last week um, in isolation, last calendar week, the S&P fell by 4%. Um, and given last night's uh, volatility where we saw intraday, an intraday move of 4%, um, so uh, up to briefly in the morning uh, US time and then ended up down to, um, that now takes the S&P 500's return into negative territory on a year-to-date basis. And so the US is kind of playing catch-up with uh, the negative sentiment that's been around elsewhere um, in the world. Uh, and the NASDAQ, I think, is now informally um, in what's so-called negative um, correction territory, as in excess of 10% down from its um, recent, recent high. Um, from an economic standpoint, uh, you know, that uh, volatility has to be juxtaposed against uh, US data, which, of course, is backward-looking, but has come out uh, strongly. Um, so third quarter GDP in the States up 3.5% year-on-year, beating the consensus um, and we're now on track to have the fastest underlying growth since 2005. Um, uh, meantime, though, the news is less good in the Eurozone, where despite the ECB coming out saying no change to its policy rates and policy stance, um, it does expect still to end net asset purchases by the end of the year. So that signifies uh, monetary tightening effectively coming in in the Eurozone, um, QE turning steadily into QT, um, even if policy rates themselves, Draghi said, will remain unchanged until the summer of 2019. But the underlying um, data coming out of um, the Eurozone, notwithstanding the ongoing budget spat between Italy and the EU Commission, um, specifically in Germany, um, and I think the corollary here is, is the um, weakness in uh, softening in China, um, but you had the Purchasing Managers Index in Germany um, hit a near three-and-a-half-year low um, and falling 2.3 down from last month's reading. So sort of softening sentiment uh, playing out very, uh, very dramatically, actually, in, uh, in Germany. Uh, in the UK, um, yesterday we had the budget. Um, not going to spend too much time on that on this call, but I urge you to take advantage of the talking point uh, that went out late last night, uh, which covers the headline details. Um, in essence, um, the... Um, the flash headline is Austerity Killed Off uh, If a, a Brexit Horror Show Is Avoided. That's how Azad has cast his piece, um, which I think is fair enough. Um, and then lastly, um, uh, continue to watch the renminbi uh, rate against the US dollar. It's flirting with the seven threshold, 
um, which is its weakest value since 2008. This is a function of uh, softening China demand, but also fear associated with the ongoing uh, trade tension that we've been talking so much about on these calls. Um, so, Alex, with that, a lot of um, nervousness around, um, but we are, I mean, let's go back to the fundamentals because noise is noise and ultimately it's the fundamentals that we care about and we're in the midst of the US earnings season. Mm. Um, so how is that earnings reporting season going, first of all? Uh, no, thank, thank you, Charles. Thanks for having me on today. It's, um, it's interesting, to say the least, um, to see how the market is reacting to earnings at this point. Because earnings are actually very good in the U.S. Um, to date, 77% of the S&P 500 has beaten earnings estimates in the quarter, which is a pretty good number. And, uh, and even allowing for the boost that came from the tax stimulus. Yes, yes. So that's sort of um, that's sort of a, a direct comparison and, and, and a pretty strong rate. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that the market is marking down companies pretty much regardless of their earnings delivery, and um, particularly so um, in the case where revenues have not grown at the same place, right. the same pace as earnings. So I think he's, he's very relevant, very material. And um, the simple fact is that if you look at um, the number of companies in the S&P that have beaten on revenues, it's considerably lower than the number of companies that have beaten on earnings. So. 59% of companies in the S&P have been on revenues versus 77% on earnings. And I think the market and, and has taken fright. And, and, and if you looked at the makeup of those companies mm. that have been beating, mm. are they more domestically oriented than internationally oriented? Is there anything that can be drawn out of that in terms of the relative pace of growth you know, domestically in the States versus overseas? Not really. There's no clear picture. Domestic has continued to be pretty strong, um, but international in some cases has been quite good too. Right. The issue is just simply the deceleration. If we pick out two high-profile names that we've talked a lot about, Amazon and Google, both reported very recently, both had fairly significant drawdowns in the last couple of weeks. Amazon's quarterly revenue growth quarter one through quarter three, uh, is 43% in the first quarter, 39% in the second quarter, 29% in the third quarter. Google's 26% in the first quarter, 25% in the second quarter, 21% in the third quarter. Now, in absolute terms, Charles, those are pretty good numbers. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, the, the problem is, it's deceleration. Right. And, and, and these stocks, particularly these very large uh, tech stocks have done incredibly well and become very large, as we know, over a trillion dollars in some cases in terms of market cap, are very vulnerable to a perception that the growth rate is not going to be sustained. There's another dimension, just before we leave those companies specifically, of course, which is about regulation mm -hmm. stroke intervention. And we had the UK Chancellor um, yesterday standing up in the House of Commons saying that he intends to find ways to tax revenues yeah. um, on the basis that they've been able to move profits wherever, so to avoid paying UK tax at least. Is that a material factor in terms of um, evaluating these stocks from here? Definitely. I mean, regulation has been one of our primary concerns with these tech companies um, because they are so dominant and they are so profitable. Um, 
and and you know, nowhere is that more apparent than in companies like Google and Amazon. And Amazon, for example, this quarter reported a tenfold increase in profitability year on year. It's a very significant number. And actually, we'll, we'll come on to valuation in a minute, but just in the case of Amazon, the stock is actually on an earnings basis looking really quite cheap on a forward basis. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But to answer your question directly, the issue very clearly is these are big companies, high-profile companies, and very high-return capital companies. And so they're easy targets yeah. in many respects for regulators and for governments. And there's an emotional aspect too, because um, you, you had a similar, in another announcement that's linked, of a revision to, um, in the case of Amazon, for example, uh, business rates to help small retailers on the high street. Um, and you know everyone sees them being destroyed by Amazon. And, and so I think this, this, this theme that we've been talking about in terms of political intervention, um, interrupting the natural kind of flow of untrammeled capitalism is something that we're all having to navigate. Yeah, we are. And I think it's going to remain yeah. very relevant. I mean, Facebook report today after the close it will be very interesting to see how much um, social pressure, not strictly regulation, but governmental pressure, social pressure, has negatively impact the business model. Because um, that is the issue for these, these large companies, is that actually the feedback loops from regulation and social interaction into earnings and revenue can be quite powerful. We'll see that with Facebook. And so, um, just before we move on to, to other aspects to the earnings dimension, mm. um, from a technology sector positioning, what, are you adjusting? Because obviously mm. the team has been done very well from the, the long positions that you've had. Yeah, we, we, have, we have done well with that, and we remain committed to technology because we believe in the structural story. We believe in disruption. We believe in another leg of disruption in terms of artificial intelligence and automation. We think that's going to be very, very powerful. And we have some scenarios built into our numbers to, to reflect that. And those are actually very compelling. The other interesting point I would make is that tech actually, yeah, yes, it has been a very tough sector in the last couple of weeks, but there have been some bright spots, particularly in the corporate tech spending arena where companies like Microsoft, Adobe, Intel even, which obviously makes a lot of mainframes as well as PCs, um, makes the chipsets for those, have all done very well and uh, have reported earnings, significant earnings beats and actually revenue beats in those cases too. So, you know, there is there are some very strong drivers that are still making themselves apparent and, and those, those stocks are actually doing quite well. Okay, so to move on, um, the other part of an earnings equation, um, we have revenues on the one hand, but of course you then have costs. Yeah. Um, and the U.S. employment situation has continued to tighten. Um, we've obviously got, it's that time of the month again, employment data coming on Friday. Yeah. Um, how much of an issue is uh, the inflationary picture? And the reason that I'm sort of asking about this, because clearly it's going to influence the Fed, um, and notwithstanding uh, the president's tweets and, uh, in terms of the Fed policy, the Fed is looking at the economics and is not looking at the volatility in the stock market, certainly mm -hmm. at this juncture. Yeah. Um, so what's your bottom-up experience of cost pressure um, in the state at the moment? Very, very interesting question, Charles, because we are definitely starting to see cost pressure in the US. Um, we're seeing it selectively at the moment. We aren't seeing a broad-based um, trend to higher costs. 
necessarily, but I suspect we will. What we are seeing are bellwether companies like Caterpillar uh, announcing very clearly that their cost structure has been negatively impacted by trade wars, by higher input costs, um, and just by general friction through the supply chain, which I think is ongoing and likely to, to, uh, to strengthen rather than weaken going forwards. In addition to that, what you've obviously had are uh, uh, several high-profile announcements from large companies like Amazon that they are raising the minimum wage quite materially that they pay uh, their workforce. In Amazon's case, uh, they raised the minimum wage to $15, which is a 20-something percent increase from where they were. Okay. These are big numbers, and they are starting to impact the bottom line. So that squeeze is potentially a potentially a very powerful negative from the point of view of margins in the US. And I was here three months ago, and I stated then, and I stick to my view, that uh, markets are likely to remain highly volatile because there will be a two-way pull. The economy is fundamentally in good shape, and wages, so higher wages help that equation. But at the same time, margins are at record highs, and quite likely to come down. Right. And it's what we were talking about in the, in the eyes of, of certain certain sectors, in the eyes of the politicians, mm. and that's where they're vulnerable. Definitely. Um, and so that then makes one ask about valuation, yeah. Um, yeah. because uh, <clears throat> interestingly, this year there was what I call benign derating, yeah, um, and, yeah. and then in October that turned rather less benign. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and there has very much been benign derating in the sense that the market has corrected in terms of understanding a slowing or anticipating a slowdown for some time now. Um, so uh, U.S. earnings growth uh, year on year uh, in the nine months of this year versus last year will be the order of 24% year on year, including the tax effect. Uh, and yet, obviously, the market's up nowhere near 24%. Well, no, uh, negative. No, negative. Well, no, negative, exactly. Uh, so, so you know, implicit there is a very significant derating, and it's the same elsewhere. So the forward-looking multiple at the moment mm. is what? Yeah. Well, this is the interesting thing, and this is why I'm actually not, um, although I'm somewhat cautious for obvious reasons on the, on the sort of shorter term in yeah. the next few weeks, I'm actually not particularly bearish at this point because the S&P, for example, is trading on 15 and a half times forward earnings. Right. That's a pretty good number. Yeah. Um, a pretty good number, even though you can get a real return on short-term cash now. Sorry, yes, no, that's right. <laughs> that is a paradigm shift. And very, very valid question. So, so this this is the dilemma: is 15 and a half times forward earnings, times forward earnings in the U.S. But I think estimates are still too high for next year. So if we look at consensus estimates for 2019 for the S&P 500, it's $180 a share for the index, which equates to a 17% year-on-year increase in earnings in the US, in the S&P 500. That's just too high. It's not going to happen. That number needs to come down. So the 15 and a half times probably isn't the right number. It's more expensive than that. And then the question becomes, how is the market going to react to that? My view is the market's already anticipated that, and therefore the downside from here is probably quite limited. Um, and you reference the next couple of weeks, but is that because you've had the midterms in the back of your mind in terms of the market needs to be reassured about? Yeah, yeah, definitely the midterms I think are a significant milestone. Uh, if the midterms show a significant swing to the left, we could see a lot more volatility. If, as I suspect, 
Trump actually pervades, or the Republicans pervade, you could see a stabilization in the market uh, and investors starting to come back right. to the fundamentals, which are really not bad. I saw, I mean, Goldman's have put out a call that they expect the market to be 7% higher by the end of the year. I saw that, yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about the states, Alex. Yeah. Um, elsewhere in the world? Yes. Well, you've had a similar de-rating, and obviously very it's been so. less dramatic than what we've been seeing in the States. Yeah, no, you have. Um, very much so, and in our view... I mean, emerging markets aside, emerging, it's been very dramatic. Emerging, yeah, clearly, we've all heard a lot about emerging, been very dramatic, and, and, and some countries in particular have uh, suffered significant drawdowns, arguably too much so. So our view is that there is overshoot in terms of drawdown in certain markets, for example, China, uh, certainly the case in markets like uh, Turkey uh, and possibly in parts of Latin America too. And that presents an opportunity. Now, we're stock pickers. Uh, and that's the way I look at things. I'm not allocating between countries or regions. But I will say that a lot of our focus now is on areas like China, where we just think the good has gone out with the bad. And there's some actually some very attractive opportunities at the stock level. And within which sorts of sectors, again, technology bias or more broader than that? Technology in China, I mean, interesting that you raise that question because technology stocks in China, as we know, have been particularly poor performers and regulation we touched on been one of the major issues. And they're in the crosshairs of the US. They're in the crosshairs, very very much so. Alibaba report today as well, uh, today or tomorrow, and that will be interesting in itself to see what impact um, uh, the changes are having on them. Tencent is a high-profile casualty already, as we know. So we're slightly wary of that because the regulatory outlook is still very uncertain. We, we see uh, opportunities in other areas, actually, that have fallen out of favor in, in China and, and in Asia as well. Um, if you take a, I mean, it's not a Chinese stock, but if you take a Korean stock like Samsung SDI, it's part of the Samsung Group, but a very interesting company because it makes batteries for a number of different applications. Um, uh, and we think that the tide is is turning for uh, Samsung SDI from the point of view of their large battery business starting to get scale, starting to respond to EV demand um, with, with scale, and probably like to generate very significant uh, earnings growth going forward. And yet the market just has tar- has it's a tech stock, a tech stock classified as a tech stock, and the market has treated it as a high high risk tech stock. So. What I'm hearing is that whilst it's bumpy, yep. um, your sort of central tenet of focusing on growth where you can find it um, uh, and belief that um, valuations are correcting uh, in, a, in a healthy way, yeah. even if it's an um, uncomfortable way at the moment, yeah. it, you're not to sort of draw this out. You're not sort of a team thinking, goodness, should we have more utilities? Should we have more consumer right. staples? Uh, so, so lots of interesting questions there, Charles, which you don't, unfortunately don't have time to cover all of those, but here's a couple of thoughts, just, yeah. just takeaways. Staples are interesting because pricing is coming back into the staples sector after a long period of pricing drought. We are actually seeing some of the better companies, the stronger companies, achieving pricing, like Procter & Gamble, for example, achieving pricing for the first time in a long time. That's a very good sign. So that's something we'll be following globally yeah. um, and, and definitely, uh, definitely doing that. That's very interesting. Equally, we're not... Um, we, we, you know, we're certainly not giving up on, on sort of traditional growth areas. I mean, I've talked about tech quite a lot already. Um, my view is, our view as a team is that the cycle in hardware will be quite shallow. 
definitely a downdraft in semiconductors, but it'll be quite shallow, and the structural drivers will return. And that in itself presents some very interesting opportunities uh, for longer-term investors um, like us. Um, and then, you know, more, more broadly, there's the simple fact that um, things have fallen a lot across the board. Right. Um, utilities, less so. Not an I think the, the, the thrust behind my question was that you're, because we are running out of time, mm. but you're, you're not minded to go defensive, is really what we're, we're not. We're not really, because <clears throat> defensive is a difficult word. I mean, that classifying defensive and, and cyclical these days is quite a difficult thing to do. Right. Uh, for example, stables have not been defensive, yeah. quite the opposite, until fairly recently. Yeah. Um, and so what we're really focused on is, A, some degree of certainty where we can, we can sort of predict the likely outcome, and ideally um, some degree of self-help as well, where management are actually responding to some of the pressures, right. cutting costs as much as they can, and hopefully getting the leverage. Great. Well, Alex, thank you very much indeed. That's um, very interesting to hear from literally the sort of the sharp end of equity markets at the moment. Um, and I think what I'm, I've, I've heard, just to summarise quickly, is we need to expect at the moment uh, volatility to persist for a while, partly um, US midterm in, induced, and we get the other side of that you know, just over a week from now. Um, uh, but, but more particularly because of the visibility on the trajectory of margins and how uh, the twin dynamics of slowing growth, particularly overseas, um, but maybe potentially domestically as well as we look into next year, that would be Keith's view, um, on the revenue side, but also you've highlighted the different cost pressures, and you know, interestingly you highlight right at the end that resilience um, or greater pricing power that something like consumer staples have, which is not something I've heard for a long time, mm -hmm. so very interesting. Um, and it's whilst those dynamics work out, um, that's the child's mobile, it, it's different pieces are being uh, pulled in different directions and we need a new equilibrium to establish itself. But um, uh, attractive valuations are emerging and the derating um, has been taking place. So um, some crumbs of comfort for yeah. our clients there. Um, and staying the course in terms of uh, technology specifically as a theme within your portfolios. Yeah. So Alex, with that, thank you very much indeed. Very interesting to chat. Um, thank you again everybody for listening and that concludes this week's episode.